Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Let me talk some NFL with you. I've said it before, I'll say it again right now. In the NFL, there is no such thing as a statement win in October. It just does not exist. Week five is way too early for anybody to be making any statements about anything. That said, I've got one. Here's your statement. Show me your lightning bolt! Because that was a statement. And the L.A. Chargers made one hell of a statement yesterday when they beat Cleveland in a game that was all juice and adrenaline. What an amazing game that was. Like, I'll be real about this. In terms of our guest at 940, Brandon Staley, I was already a believer before he got that job with the Chargers. And then I was definitely on board after I spoke to him back in January. And I'm glad that I bought as much stock in him as I possibly could back then. Because five games in, I want to repeat this, this dude is a bleeping wizard. You could not ask for a better fit than Staley and the Chargers. Because that roster is loaded with talent, and he knows exactly how to maximize that talent. This Chargers team went from a group that was this close to winning almost every single week, a team that could not win close games ever, to being one of the most electric teams in football right now and suddenly masters of the one-score win. I mean, in recent years, we know this about them, right? They would always man down and find a way to lose. Now it is exactly the opposite. They man the hell up. They have tremendous belief in their first-year head coach because he has tremendous belief in all of them. Hence, him going for it on fourth down all the time without concern for distance or where they are on the field or where they are in the game or where they are on the scoreboard. I mean, like, this dude's different now. And they play their asses off for him. Like, you don't believe me when I talk about the electricity. You think that's just some sort of lame, weak pun based on the team nickname. Yeah, right? Check this. Tell me they're not electric when you see this. Quick snap, Herbert to throw. Pocket collapse and takes a shot downfield. Has a man. Caught Mike Williams. No one's there. 10-5 touchdown Chargers. 72 yards. There was nobody there over the top on the deep post. That's a team right there. Well, I mean, the Bolts, sure. I'm talking about money and DJ. Chargers radio. Man, they are electric. Everything about them. Justin Herbert to Mike Williams is pretty damn good. Why don't we try that again? First and ten. Fake to Kelly. They're blocked by Parham. Going, going. They got him wide open. This is six. That is six. 42-yard touchdown pass. We are tied. Westwood won on that call. Then check out how this crew handled the second half. That was a heavyweight fight. Every bit as good as Fury Wilder 3. There was Staley again going for it on fourth and two from his own 24 trailing by 14. Can we just stop on that for a minute? Fourth and two from his own 24, trailing by two TDs and getting it, which is brass as hell. That's believing in your team and your team believing in you. How many coaches have got the stones to make that call? I can answer that for you. You can count them on one hand. 
But then how many have the church bells to go for it on fourth down again in the same drive, this time fourth and seven on the Cleveland 22? Staley did again, and he got it again. Then he goes for it on fourth and four from his own 41 and got a defensive pass interference. Then they go for it on fourth and eight, down seven from the Cleveland 24. I mean, this dude has turned four-down territory into the entire game, regardless of where they are on the field and how much they need for the first. This dude is utterly fearless, and his dudes are completely responding and justifying the gigantic huevos to the decisions that he makes. I mean, this is a guy who knows his team. This is a guy who believes in his guys, and his guys believe in him, and that obviously is a really powerful thing. That's how you see them coming back from down 14 in the third. They score 34 points in the final 25 minutes against a very good Browns team. They went from down 14 to the Browns carrying Austin Eckler into the end zone to have a chance to win that game. That's what Staley has done for this team already. That's how you beat Kansas City in their place. Vegas in L.A. and the Browns in L.A. in three straight weeks. That's how you announce that you're legit. That's how you announce your team is real. A real and legitimate contender. And they're only going to get better. Like, there's already an actual discussion taking place right now about whether or not Justin Herbert is already the best player in the NFL. I'm not going to go that far. Not yet. But I can see having that discussion, and I can see having that discussion sooner than later because this guy is a bleeping stud. I mean, special. Really, really special. So I thought they made a big-time statement. At a time where it's way too early in the season to make statements, they made a big-time statement. And let me make another statement. While there is no such thing as a statement win in October— The Buffalo Bills also just had a statement win in October. Anytime you go into the home of the two-time defending AFC champs and you kick the crap out of them, then that's a statement. In fact, there are multiple statements. Let me run them down for you. Statement number one, the Buffalo Bills are a damn good football team. That week one blip from them was just that, a week one blip from them. Draw a line through it. Like, it never even happened. Because look at what they've done since then. They are rolling fools up. 35-nothing, 43-21, 40-nothing, and now 38-20. You know, I get it. If you want to say that beating the Dolphins and the Texans by a combined score of 75-nothing is not proof that they're awesome, you can say that. I would disagree, though. Because great teams handle their business against bad teams. And posting two shutouts like that is handling your business. But even if you don't want to say that, even if you can't admit that, even if you wanted to doubt them before last night, the hell do you have to say right now? Because that was a comprehensive beatdown in every facet of the game. You had Josh Allen chucking it here's the snap allen back to pass looks left looks right steps up in the pocket looks left again drills one deep down the left side caught touchdown emmanuel sanders allen hit him in stride a 35 yard touchdown strike wow what a throw by josh allen seriously that was so nice that was so nice but you know what's even nicer the other pass 
If you saw the game, you already know what I'm talking about. You want to talk about a freak. You want to talk about a freaking dime. This is like some Jim Kelly bleep. This is like some Dan Marino bleep. This is like some John Elway bleep. This Thank is like you, some all of those guys rolled into one bleep. Back to pass, rolling out to his right, being chased, throws deep down the field, got a man wide open, caught at the 15, knocks inside the 10, across the 5, into the end zone, touchdown Buffalo. Dawson knocks. I mean, that's not even like a throw. That's like a holy crap throw. The kind that gets you up off your living room couch. Because the number of guys on the planet that can make that throw right now is pretty minuscule. Scrambling out of the pocket, going to his right, waving Dawson Knox down the field, and then throwing a frozen rope to the big man? Insane. And even more insane when you consider it's not just about this guy's arm. We know what else he can do. We know he can make you look really bad with his legs. This guy's running and jumping and hurtling fools out there. Now they come. Here goes Allen. He's going to take over. He hurdles and picks up the first down. Whoa. Over Legereus Sneed, he goes for a first down. What a play. 237 pounds like a fullback. You better hit him low. And sometimes there are just those plays that make that season-ending highlight reel. And that is going to be one of them. Not really sure how a dude that big can make plays like that. I mean, taking nothing away from the GOAT, but I don't see Tom Brady getting out of the pocket and hurtling guys. Unbelievable play. But that's not just the thing, right? Then you've got the Bills defense. The Bills defense doing the impossible and making Patrick Mahomes look mortal, look human. Micah Hyde. Pick six, baby, roll it. Shotgun snap to Mahomes, back to pass against the four-man rush. He throws short, it's tipped, it's intercepted by Micah Hyde. He's going to race to the end zone. Touchdown, Buffalo. Off the hands of Tyreek Hill, into the hands of Micah Hyde, and the veteran takes it in. A pick six for Hyde and the Bills. You already know this is a huge Micah Hyde house. Love this guy. Love everything about the Bills right now. That was a statement win. You know how I know that that was a statement win? Because Deion Dawkins, say big Deion Dawkins house too, the snowman said that it was only one win. It was not any better because of who they beat. He said, quote, I would say no. And simply because a win is a win. And it's just one win. Just because we beat them doesn't mean that it's two or it's three. Every win matters. And no matter who is on the schedule, every win is a win. End of quote. See, that's a sign of a guy and a team that get it. A mature team. That's not a crew that's going to take a victory lap around Arrowhead in week five and then miss the playoffs altogether. No names mentioned. Rhymes with the Vas Vegas Raiders. Buffalo's not doing that crap. I'm not sure what was worse last night. Kansas City's defense or Kansas City's offense because they were both pretty ugly. Because KC's defense got bullied. They got bullied and they got carved. And it's not the first time it's happened. And I'm pretty sure it won't be the last time either. Look, I know the defense was not at full strength. But you would still expect more from them in a primetime game at home that's a rematch of last year's AFC Championship game. You would expect more than that. But you know what? Maybe at this point, you shouldn't. Everybody keeps waiting for this crew, the Chiefs, to get right. But maybe this is exactly who and what they are right now. But 
If you were hoping that the offense was going to come in and save them again, that was not happening last night. In fact, it really hasn't happened much at all this year because the offense has not been much better. Patrick Mahomes has six INTs already this season. He had six all of last season. In short, Patrick Mahomes does not look like Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes? When was the last time Patrick Mahomes Mahomes? was on the field and wasn't the best quarterback on the field? Let me ask you that one more time. When was the last time Patrick Mahomes was on the field but was not the best quarterback on the field? Because he wasn't last night. Josh Allen was. And the old cliche is that a team lost or an offense struggled, quote, because they didn't play their brand of football. But Patrick Mahomes is not playing his brand of football right now, and neither is the rest of that offense. You know, I'm not going to really speculate as to why that's happening or what's happening, but even for this guy, and it's almost sacrilegious to ever be critical of this guy, right? Like, how can you do that? It does feel like he's pressing. It does feel like he knows he has to score every single time the offense has the ball because he knows his defense can't get the hell off the field. In short, Buffalo did to KC what KC's been doing to everybody else the past two years. Hit you with an offense that is loaded with weapons, a defense that's tough and nasty and making big plays, and a quarterback who is in complete control of everything. That's who the Buffalo Bills are right now. And right now, I would argue they are the scariest team in the NFL top to bottom. It's a bad loss for the Chiefs. Not only in what they lost on the scoreboard, but look at everything else that came along with that. Travis Kelsey, Stinger. Tyreek Hill, knee. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, knee. The only thing worse would have been if my man, Andy Reid, got struck by lightning during that weather delay. Hey, let me ask you something. Does this sound familiar to you? You've got one device that allows you to catch the game live, another one that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights from your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Now, let me tell you about a simple way to get all of that entertainment that you love, but without all that hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. And it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can catch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in the same place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part is there is no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion. Get your TV and your life together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible devices required. Content varies by package. Brandon Staley is my guest. Brandon, it's great to have you back. How are you? Tim, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate you doing it, Brandon. Thanks so much. So you beat a really good Cleveland team, 47-42, in an absolute classic, an instant classic. Every win is great, but how good did that one feel, given the way your team showed up yesterday and delivered when it mattered most? 
Yeah, Jim, I think I think you said it well because I think that's a really good team. I mean, they're a couple of plays away from being 4-0 going into that game. I mean, they played Kansas City really tough in Arrowhead uh, and then had three quality wins after that, and uh, they're really, really good. They're really a complete team, uh, all three phases, and I felt like that was the takeaway for me is that we beat a really good team, and it was one of those games that turned into a track meet, and I think that that's one thing that's special about the NFL is that all these games are a little bit different, and that game kind of expressed itself that it was going to be that way and I felt like our team hung tough and I felt like we, we won that game as a team you know in the second half and I thought we finished the game playing our best ball and uh, again just can't say enough about Cleveland because I think that they're a heck of a, f- a football team and uh, proud that we were able to finish that game out. You, you know what I agree with you I think you beat a really good football team Brandon Staley is joining us your quarterback Justin Herbert had another huge day 398 yards passing four touchdowns he rushed for one as well that was his 11th game of 300 passing yards in his first two seasons as you you've said to win a game like that you have to have a special quarterback and he certainly is that how would you define what it is though that makes him kind of an outlier or makes him different and special well Jim I think that he really brings out the best in in our team he's got this really cool calm composure uh, very composed player Uh, and then he's capable of beating you a lot of different ways Uh, he can make every throw uh, that's ever been invented, uh, and then he can get you out of trouble if the you know if it's chaos in the pocket. Uh, hey, if 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 a pressure isn't picked up correctly, um, he can move, he can extend, he can create uh, when there's not offense there to be had. And and I think that that's what makes him really unique. And he's really steady. Um, and I think that because of that, because of his way about him, and because of his gifts, it really brings out the best in his teammates. And I know that um, you know the a lot of people talk about his physical gifts, but he's got real toughness. Is a fierce competitor, and I felt all of that was on display yesterday. Brandon Staley is joining us, head coach of the Chargers. So the team, Brandon, was three for three on fourth down. Much has been made of that fact. That doesn't even include a fourth time where he picked up a first down on a defensive penalty. You have been absolutely fearless when it comes to going for it on fourth down this year, but not reckless. So what's your process for evaluating when to go for it and when to punt? Yeah, Jim, I think, you know, you can't say enough about the team that we have with our analytics team, uh, Aditya Krishnan, Alex Stearns, Dan Smash, who's an offensive assistant for us, and then our game day operation with our coordinators. I think our communication has been good, and I think these models that we go into the game with um, are specific to each week, to each opponent, where we're playing, what the game conditions are, who's on the other side of the football, all that good stuff. But I feel like our process has been good, and what that's allowed us to do is being able to make those decisions quickly, because I think the worst thing you can do, Jim, when it's loud and when you know you're in the heat of the moment is wait you know we've been very decisive I think and then that's given our offense a chance to really get in rhythm hey see the defense and then go play football where hey you know how it is you get you break the huddle late the shot clock's going down and then maybe you know you don't unpack the defense like you should so uh, I just feel really strongly about the way we're executing on offense um, and I feel like we've got a lot of weapons that, that really put us in an advantage situations in some of those fourth downs and then you know you certainly have the trigger man that you want to put the ball in his hands as many times as you can because you know that if you multiply his chances uh, with the football, that, that you're you know that you're going to be successful. So um, it's been it's been a strength of ours so far, and look forward to you know keep it going. Man, that's fascinating. You mentioned the weapons, Brandon. I was going to ask you about that because obviously you have the models, you have the process, you had the analytics, you've got the team in place that you want who assesses all of that. 
But Herbert was asked about that fourth and two from your own 24, and he said, quote, I don't know how many coaches would have made that decision. I know ours did, though, and he believed in us, and I believe in him, end of quote. So when you and I talk about models and process and analytics, I get that. But how much of these decisions are a reflection simply of how much you believe in your players and how much they believe in you? Yeah, I mean, Jim, the, the the intangible part that you're talking about is instilling that belief of being an intense competitor and a fearless competitor, and that we're doing things that we feel like are going to help us win the game, not just compete in the game. And I want our guys to understand um, the mindset that we want to have going into these ball games is that we're not here to just participate and compete and play well. We're here to try and win these games, uh, and we're going to do what we feel like gives us the best chance. And I know that, you know, I, I realize where we went for it, but – in the terms of the flow of the game, you know, that, that's something that's a Bruce and Linda Staley flow of the game. Hey, our defense isn't playing well. We need, a, we need a second to get our composure. I felt like if we make that fourth down, which I knew we could, that it would allow our defense to make some good adjustments, kind of get our breath a little bit, and, and then also, you know, get us into rhythm offensively. And, and that's what happened on, on both sides of it. Offense gaining rhythm, able to score points. Defensively, able to make a few more adjustments, with, which helped us in the second half of that game. And, uh, and I felt like there was, there was benefits both ways. So uh, just proud of our players. I mean, they, they laid it on the line yesterday, Jim. You know, they laid it on the line, and that's what you want as a coach. Brandon, I get this. Like, I, the, you kind of lay this out, and it makes so much sense logically, but I'm looking at fourth and two from your own 24 down a couple of TDs, man. That is a big brass set that it takes to make that call, in my estimation. I think it's incredible, personally. Now, Austin Eckler said after the game, Brandon, that Rashawn Slater told the running backs to stop chipping because he was more comfortable taking on Miles Garrett and the Browns pass rushers one-on-one, and he added Rashawn is a beast. I mean, we are talking about Miles Garrett here, right? We know they're coming for your quarterback. How well do you think the rookie has handled the transition to the NFL so far? Well, I love that he took ownership of his position and of his fundamentals and say, hey, guys, I can block this guy. And what you want to be able to do in, in, in the fire gym is have strong enough relationships with coaches and players, players to coach, et cetera, where you can make a decision like that. You know, and, and I feel like that's a great sign for a lot of different reasons. Number one, the ability of, of Rashawn, okay, because this guy is a baller. But number two, that we have the relationships, right, where we can, you know, these players can feel like they can express themselves so that we can make the adjustments that we need to, you know, and that's what you're looking for. You're looking for that as a coach is that communication and that trust in one another. And I think that's a good example of that. And Rashawn was fantastic in the game because that's a really good front. You got, you know, I know Clowney didn't play yesterday, but you got Tack McKinley, first round pick Malik McDowell, who's been a fantastic story coming back Malik Jackson. I mean, they're loaded. They, they go eight deep and, and that's a really good defense that we play. They're very complete in all three levels. And um, I, like I said, it was an outstanding offensive performance in that fourth quarter was something special. And you're one step ahead of me. I was going to ask you about relationships because you and I talked about that when we talked back in January. You talked about the importance of having these relationships. But now that you're a head coach, how have you gone about implementing that philosophy on a larger scale? For instance, how do you and your coaching staff approach the job of building those relationships? Yeah, well, I think I think number one is trying to be transparent and making sure that we have a lot of good one-to-one relationships within our position groups. Uh, and stuff like that between our coaching staff. Um, and then and I think on a larger scale within our units, making sure that we're in front of another, like one another a lot, Jim, like where I think the NFL can be very siloed where you get in these separate little groups, right? And what we try to do is we try to meet together a lot, offense, defense, then as a full team so that everybody understands what we're doing, why we're doing it, 
you know, and, and create that transparency. Um, and so we can create that ownership. And I think that that, you know, to me is the best way. And uh, that way everyone's connected. And I'm hoping that that's been a benefit so far. And hopefully we can continue to build on it. All right. So Brandon Staley joining me for a few more moments. I don't want to talk in absolutes, Brandon, but it used to be before you got there, if this team found itself in a tight game, things just generally would not go that well, frankly. You know, they would find a way to maybe lose that game. Now it seems like you've figured out a way to win these close games time and time again. How have you changed that mentality in such a short period of time? I think I think a little bit of what I just said about bringing people together um, and, and getting a really connected football team that understands our, our way of playing and the specifics of the NFL, because there's a lot of detail. It's not big picture philosophy as much as there's a lot of specifics that go into the NFL and what we're doing and what we're trying to accomplish, how we're trying to accomplish it. And I feel like we try to practice those situations all the time. We try to put our guys through a lot of positions in practice where they fail, where we can learn about a lot of things in practice so that when we get to the game, we feel like we've been through it and they're, they're in that comfort zone because they've been put through the paces. And, and then we've got good players, you know, and, and um, any, any coach would tell you that, you know, to execute like we've had been, you've got to have quality players and that's what we have. And, and then those quality players are not only talented enough, but then they have the right character. And, and, and that's what I'm excited about. When I talk about laying it on the line, that's why we're playing well is because we're, we're laying it on the line out there. Like we're playing as hard as we can possibly play and we're executing pretty well. I know that we can execute better. Trust me, we will as this season goes on. Um, but as a coach, when it gets tight, I know that our players believe that good things are going to happen. And, and that's because of what we do on a day-to-day basis. You know, and I'm going to also add to that, in my opinion, because they know that you believe in them and are saying, hey, man, you got this. We got this. Let's do it. Just go do what you do. So let me finally ask you, Brandon, three straight games against elite competition, including a couple of divisional rivals. Now you're going on the road to face another very good team in Baltimore. How do you go about recovering both physically and mentally for another huge game this Sunday, especially coming off a short week? Yeah, I mean, last week was was short, Jim, coming off the Monday night Sunday afternoon deal, and and I think you you, you that's a, such an awesome point that you make. It's an important one that people need to know about. Is we we got to get these guys' bodies back. It's going to be an East Coast trip, and you know, recovery is such a big part of the game in the National Football League. And we're going to make sure that from a sports performance standpoint, that we get the right recovery. Where hey, these guys aren't. It's not a grind fest on the practice field. That we're making sure that we get the the tactical work uh, mentally but physically that we get these guys' bodies back for game day because these guys, what they go through is, 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 is more challenging than anyone could possibly imagine until you're around them on a day-to-day basis. So we got to get that recovery started today, flush them out this morning, which our guys are already lifting and, um, you know, recovering and, and make sure we have a, a, a tactical week of practice so that these guys um, – can feel their best on Sunday because this Baltimore team we're playing is, is really, really good, as you know. So one last thought. I mean, you sound amazing to me today, and I understand that maybe you don't pay the physical price that these guys do, but what does the head coach do to rest and recover and sound like this this early the day after? I think just being around my family. You know, I have some family in town from, from Cleveland, where I'm from, and just making sure that I keep the main thing the main thing, that whatever is going on in my mind about the game, adjustments, what I could do better, all the strategic things that you need to work on, like, you know, you got you, you to gotta be present, you know, and, and um, I feel like for me it's just to be around my family and love my boys and my wife and, you know, and I think that uh, when you can truly be present with your family and, and, and know what, uh, you know, what a great thing you have in this life that uh, it allows you that, then to get back to work with a, with a, fresh, with a fresh lens and, um, and, and you got a lot of energy towards, you know, 
I mean, working really hard because this morning there's a lot that we need to correct, you know. So, but I, I feel like when you're with your family, um, that gives you all the win that you need. And I'm fortunate that uh, my family uh, is is amazing. People might not like hearing it, but you got to be where your feet are, and clearly it's paying off. You are four and one. You're in first place, Brandon. I appreciate you very much. Congrats on an amazing win, and I really appreciate you coming back on the show, especially after a day like that. So good to talk to you. Thanks so much for that. Jim, thanks for having us. Look forward to doing it again soon. My man, Brandon Staley. Like, what did I say? I said he's a wizard. This guy's like a genius. That's an amazing conversation. And you can see why they love him. You can see why they responded to him. You can see whereby his rise through the ranks in the NFL has been meteoric. That is, he's brilliant. An amazing motivator, great head coach, great leader. And that's why I would come right out and say this dude is. 1-800-636-8686. And if you haven't already, show me your lightning bolt! What a great win for them. And again, the Browns did not lose that game. The Chargers won that game. When we come back, more NFL. Charles Robinson starts us off next hour. We'll have that, and then we are open. 1-800-636-8686. Let me take a moment and talk to you about WinBet. The latest and greatest sports betting app on the market. The same five-star hotel service that you know and love is now in the digital betting space, providing an elite sports book and digital casino app. So whether you're playing money lines for NFL Week 6, totals for College Football Week 7, or both, WinBet has you covered. Are you looking for other sports? WinBet has those too. It's all right there for your WinBet app. And WinBet is also fully integrated with Win Rewards. That means by playing WinBet, you can accrue points to earn free credit in app and comp dollars towards perks at Win Resorts, discounted hotel stays, priority dining and entertainment, free merch. It really is the best loyalty program in the industry. Call it a win win. Whether playing from your phone or your computer, you've absolutely got to sign up for WinBet. ASAP. Bet with the best. Get into the game. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. You do have to be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Yesterday was another weird-ass day in the league, right? Just when you think you've seen everything and there's no way that you could see something that you have never seen before, we have a day like we had yesterday. As an example, Bengals, Packers. That was some wild bleep now. Here's a short recap. The Bengals tie the game at 22 with less than three and a half minutes left. Green Bay did what they always do in that situation. They respond. And the response was to drive down to the Bengals 18 and then turn it over to Mason Crosby. Right? Almost automatic. One of the most clutch kickers in the league for the go-ahead field goal. I mean, almost automatic. 35-yard field goal attempt off the left hash mark. Snap placement. Here's the kick to the uprights. It is no good. No good. you got to be kidding me. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness gracious. I mean, I had the same exact feeling. I mean, that's surprising. Even more surprising, though, is Cincinnati comes right back. And they're driving to set up their own go-ahead field goal with 26 seconds left. Staring at the rookie kicker, just 22 years old. Now the snap, the put down, the swing of the right leg. Get the in kick there. On its way. Get in it there. hits the upright oh, and bounces to the right. Oh. No good. Insane, right? I mean, insane. And then yet somehow, some way, 
Aaron Rodgers working his magic and getting his guy, Mason Crosby, another look to win the game in regulation. There is no way a dude this ice cold, a dude this good, misses this one. Not when you give a guy like that another shot. No way this guy misses this one, right? Uh. Three seconds on the clock. The snap, the kick. It has the distance. It is no No. good. He missed it wide left. The hell is going on around here? Has the whole world gone bat bleep crazy? No, because it was about to get even more insane. Joe Burrow. And by the way, this guy's a stud. Joe Burrow is unbelievable. He gets picked off on the first play of overtime. But the Packers are back in field goal range, right? Now, you want to talk about something that cannot happen. Mason Crosby does not miss three in a row, right? Wrong again. Here it is. Placement. Kick is up. And it is no good. He missed it to the left. You have to be kidding Oh, my goodness. A nightmarish day for Mason Crosby. Well, I mean, like the worst day ever. So the Bengals still have a chance. And not only do they have a chance, they have managed to get themselves another look at a game-winning field goal. He extends the right hand, catches the ball, puts it down. The kick is on its way. It hits the upright and is no good. Oh, my gosh. Five missed field goals. Unbelievable. Does anybody want to win this football game? Unbelievable. Now, the worst part of that was not the fact that Evan McPherson missed it. It was that Evan McPherson thought that he made it and was celebrating and jumping into his holder's arms on a kick that missed. Jumping into the arms of the holder because he thought he made it was hilarious. I mean, honestly. (laughs) And his explanation of what he was thinking and why he did that was actually even funnier. Quote, I struck it very well, and I saw it going right down the middle. I guess you could say I know whenever it's going to go in, and that was one of those moments. Maybe a big gust of wind caught it there at the last second. End quote. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, bro. Or maybe you wait until the ball actually (laughs) proceeds through the uprights before you start jumping into anyone's arms. Except his miss meant that the Packers had a chance. And after driving 29 yards, that chance was Mason Crosby attempting another field goal. No way in hell this guy misses four straight, right? Mason Crosby for the win. Snap and placement. Here's the kick. It is up. It is good. Mason Crosby got it done. Fourth time a charm. Fourth time a charm for Mason Crosby. And the Packers win it in overtime. Incredible, right? Look, I don't root. But I got to be straight. I was actually kind of rooting for Mason Crosby on that kick. Not because I had action, not because I've got any kind of bias. I just don't want any human being, anybody on any team, having to withstand missing four straight clutch kicks in the same game. I mean, that would have been cruel and unusual. I've never seen anything like that. I never want to see anything like that. So in a way, yes, I was rooting for him to knock that thing home. Not as hard as the big head, though, who had the Packers minus two and a half. 
as if that weren't bad enough. Then Joe Burrow. Let me circle back to Joe. Man, this guy is so good. So, so good. But if that weren't bad enough, he had to get checked out after the game for a throat contusion. I mean, you watched the NFL yesterday, and guys were going down all across the league. And can you imagine? I mean, this is at a time and an era where the league is doing everything they can to make the game safer, and guys are going down. But a throat contusion, that's like some Liam Neeson stuff right there. A throat contusion, like a trachea blast. Then again, I felt like somebody kicked me in the trachea after seeing all those missed kicks. Like, I need something to kind of clear my mind. You know, like a, I don't know, a palate cleanser. Something nice. So for that, let me go to the desert very quickly. Thank you, Alvin. How about the 5-0 and Arizona Cardinals? Why don't we check in on them? Wait, wait. Did Beauregard email? Is that not Beauregard's theme music? Yeah, no, I know that that was for the palate cleanser. I was just being rhetorical there, Alvy. I just hear that song, and I think Beauregard. Anyway, I mentioned the 5-0 and o Arizona Cardinals. That's right. Yeah, I said it. The best record in the league. The best team in the best division in football. And the team that has Rondell Moore. And if you did not know before, now you do. My man has got hands. Early pressure up the middle. Throwing on the run. A wobbler down the sideline. Looking for Rondell Moore. And he's out of bounds. He caught the ball, but just couldn't keep the toes inside the chalk. Or could he? Oh, Kev, that's close now. He got, oh my God. Oh, yes, he did. That is insane. That's not just the best reception of the day. That might be the catch of the year. Arizona's got an offense with Kyler Murray. I don't need to reset how I feel about him. DeAndre Hopkins, Moore, Christian Kirk, A.J. Green, and a two-headed backfield. And the best part is they didn't win that game with their offense. They beat the Niners 17-10 with their defense. They stopped the 49ers on fourth down four times, including this monster, monster hit at the goal line. That was an insane play at the goal line. That play was, as DeAndre Hopkins said after the game, quote, championship football, end quote. I mean, I'm telling you, that is a tough, nasty physical defense. When was the last time anybody said that about the Cardinals? I'm going to say it again. A tough, nasty physical defense. That's how you win football games. That's how you get to 5-0 and and first place in the NFC West. As long as we're talking nasty and physical, did you see that celebration on the Vikings sideline between Kirk Cousins and Mike Zimmer? At least I think they were celebrating. In fact, I'm not really sure what the hell that was. I mean, it was something. I know that. I'm not sure if those two dudes were firing each other up or looking to knock each other out or both. I'm not sure if everything about that is awesome or if everything is terrible. But based on how these two squared up on each other, it's hard for it to be anything in between, right? Speaking of squaring up, how about Kadarius Tony squaring up on the Cowboys? Here's another one for Tony. <laughs> 13 yards, and you can see what Dave Gettleman liked is KZ. Uh-oh, here we go. That was a full-on punch Uh-oh. by Tony. 
He got shoved, but then came back with a punch. What Was that James Tony? He went from having one of the best games I've ever seen to having one of the dumbest moments I've ever seen. I mean, honestly, that was straight moronic. And a really bad moment in a game full of terrible moments for the Giants. The Saquon Barkley injury is just horrible, man. I feel so badly for that guy. I mean, such a good dude who has worked so hard to get back and such a freak injury. It looked like somebody glued a grapefruit to his ankle. I mean, what a terrible injury that was. And can I tell you, Daniel Jones getting concussed in the second quarter, man, was terrible. That was really scary. Third and goal inside the one. Giants trail by seven. Jones is going to keep it. Jones runs left. Jones is not going to get in. Jones is still down. Did he get up? Yeah, he's up. He's slow to get up. He's injured, Bob. This is the danger when you use your quarterback to run. Oh, no. Oh, no. He's got a concussion. He's wobbly getting up. Yeah, maybe you don't run that guy so much. I understand Saquon was not out there, but maybe you don't run that guy so much. Like Mark Kriegel said, it's never a good never a good sign when a guy's falling forward. So he's out there laying face first on the turf, which was scary as hell. And then you see him get up and try and walk to the sideline, and he's staggering around, which was scary as hell. That whole thing was really scary. Am I making that pretty clear? Then you have Kenny Galladay suffering a knee injury as well. So that means the guy poking his head above the foxhole and sticking his neck out for the Giants offense was none other than the Cologne's favorite, Mike Glennon. And I'm sure that Joe Judge and Jason Garrett will definitely come up with some great schemes to give him a neck up on the competition. I want to tell you about one of my favorite things ever, Grove Collaborative. Grove Collaborative is an online marketplace that delivers natural home, beauty, and personal care products directly to your door. The goal here is to make living a healthy lifestyle easy and accessible for you and your family. Grove is the online marketplace that delivers healthy home, beauty, and personal care products directly to you, and Grove Collaborative takes the guesswork out of going green. So browse the site for thousands of home, beauty, and personal care products, all guaranteed to be good for you, your family, your home, and the planet. Making the switch to natural products has never been easier, and for a limited time. When you go to grove.co slash Rome, grove.co slash Rome, you will get to choose a free gift with your first order of $30 or more. But you have to use our special code. Go to grove.co slash Rome to get your exclusive offer. That's grove.co slash R-O-M-E. Good friend of the program. He is Mark Kriegel. Mark, what's going on? How are you? What's up, buddy? How are you? Good, dude. How about you? How are things? Things are very good, man. I'm back in California. Yeah, I know I'm it's good. Coming out. That's where you should be. Oh, great fight. Hey, where do you come out on that, man? Are you? Do you feel like you're a California guy now, or are you always going to be kind of a, an East Coast guy? I'll always be a displaced New Yorker, but I, but I wouldn't return. I that, mean, you know, forever. I got you. I got you. All right, so you've got a great piece up right now, Mark, on Fury Wilder 3 and the trilogy overall. It includes these two sentences, quote, I was there for Riddick Bowe and Evander Holyfield. This was better, 
end quote. I want to get back to that in a moment, but take me back to before Saturday night's fight. What kind of an impact did the second fight in the trilogy have on Deontay Wilder and how he prepared for this fight? He, he prepared well. I mean, look, I, I thought he was wrong to fire his trainer for throwing in the towel, Mark, Mark Breland. And I think that I, I thought then and I think now that there would not have been a third fight had, uh, had, had Breland not thrown in the towel. Um, and it's a weird thing, like the, the, the ego of the champ, like you, you need a crazy huge ego to, to do this job. And I'm not talking about just like, like a guy who holds the belt, but a, a kind of a, a baddest man sort of guy. But what Wilder had to do to prepare for this fight after getting beat up in last fight was he could say whatever he wants to the world. The gloves were loaded. Um, my costume weighed me down. All of that stuff. But at some level, he had to acknowledge that he got beat up last time. And four in the morning, following the, the, to your question, the previous fight, he calls Malik Scott, who has been in his corner a long time, a friend, a, a guy he considers a brother, and said, I'm going to make changes. I want you to be the head trainer. But before Malik took the gig, he said, that's great, but you got to understand what happened tonight. You didn't lose a boxing match. You got beat up. And if you do the same thing all over again, it's going to be worse. Um, so Malik went over a lot of film. I think that he taught him well. And the way that Deontay started this fight he jabbed. He showed a couple of different jabs, actually. And he, and he jabbed to the body, and I think that that gave him space for the right hand. And early in the fight, he, he, he delivered a couple long rights to the body. He was a better fighter. Um, but when, 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 when Tyson finally found a rhythm, he found, also found a way to wear him down, to lean on him. Um, some guys got your number, and he's got Deontay. And um, it was absolutely thrilling to watch. This is one of the one of the few times where the fight itself exceeded the sort of Hollywood conception of what a fight should be. I mean, it, it was that it was that nuts. This guy goes down, and that guy goes down twice, and this guy goes down. It, it, it really was it was incredibly cinematic. It was incredibly cinematic. It was an amazing thing to see. Mark Kriegel is joining us. Mark, you and I have talked in the past that, and you've written this, but when Deontay Wilder knocks somebody down, they don't get up. But Tyson Fury did that before, and he did it twice in the fourth on Saturday night alone. What does that say about Tyson Fury? This guy, this guy's the real thing. And I think if you look back on... Um on what made Ali great. And I don't mean to be blasphemous by you know, in, invoking Ali's name, but if you really want to know what made him superhuman, yes, it was the athletic ability, the ability to, to move that, that beautifully as a heavyweight. But when you look back on the career and the price that he paid, his, 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 his greatest superpower was endurance, the ability to take it. Now, I mean, whether that resulted in, in, in a tragedy or, or, or poetry, we, we could talk about that on, on another call. But if you look at what Fury has done here, he got up in the first fight, and 
And in the heavyweight division, most guys are known for, for putting someone down. Certainly Deontay Wilder was. But the moment that Fury got up at the count of like nine and three quarters in the first, in the 12th round of the first fight, to my mind, he became the first heavyweight who was known not for putting a guy down, but for getting up. Huh. It was the most theatrical, dramatic moment of this trilogy and, and, and as dramatic a moment as I've seen um, in the division or m- maybe in my, my career covering this game. He, he changed the whole thing the second he got up. Um, and he wasn't supposed to win that fight. It was, everyone was talking about uh, Fury's coming back. He went a little crazy. He's cashing out now. And he knew something about himself that, that the rest of us didn't. Or, or maybe he learned it right in that moment. But he got up, you know, he, he got up twice in the first fight, most dramatically in the 12th. And then he gets up in this one. Um, and I, I thought he was done. As a matter of fact, I was writing a lead, run it back, let it go from a trilogy to a tetralogy, which is a, an opera in four parts. Hmm. And it's a little pompous language. But I was like, run it back. <laughs> give it a, give it a, I was writing that lead. And then Fury got up again and, and, and changed the tenor of the fight. And when you really look at what, what makes this guy, it's, it's that ability to get up. Mark, let me ask you something. Like, you started to touch on this with Ali, and you said this is a whole different call, This whether or not this is a notion of poetry or something else. I mean, we know about this guy's heart. We know about his ability to take a huge shot. Is there any part of you, though, that is worried for the toll that this will take on him? On Deontay? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Tyson Fury isn't the hardest hitter in the world, but he's not hitting with pillows like, like Wilder said. And when you fall forward like that, yeah, you worry. You saw, you, I mean, falling forward is, is a bad sign. Right. It is. Um, I mean, you know, he got up. He, 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 I, I thought that he fought a good fight. I, I thought that he had the right game plan, and Tyson Fury had a lot to say about that. I think he beats, he beats any other guy in the division um, except for Fury on, on Saturday night. Um, I, I think that he would – even Usyk, who is, is really tricky, really crafty, he's still longer and he has this, this crazy punch. You know, he, he'll, he'll never be a, an, an elegant fighter. But he's good enough to disguise that right hand, and he's got actually has power in both hands. So I, I think Wilder beats any anyone not named Fury. But I do worry about him, and that's why Mark Freeland threw in the damn towel last time, right? Because um, he had cause to be worried about that type of beating. You, you know, you, you have you, your brain is the same size and has the same uh, uh, protection or lack thereof, whether you're a heavyweight or a featherweight. You're just taking a lot bigger shots. Um, so yeah, there, there's cause to be, there's cause to be concerned. Mark Kriegel joining us, brilliant to me, and I'll just make the statement too, he did his job. He did his job. I understand why his fighter didn't like that, but he did his job. He's there to protect the fighter from himself. Mm-hmm. So to your point, Mark, that clearly Fury has got Deontay's number. What then is the secret to beating Fury? Well, so far there is no secret because, I mean, you know, he beat Klitschko. Um, he's beaten Deontay three times. I thought, you know, and again, it goes, to his, it goes to how truly tough the guy is. A fight that was supposed to be a kind of, you know, tune-up, 
against Otto Valin a couple of years ago when he was still coming back, where he had that huge gash over his eye. Valin was, Valin was a, a, a well-schooled heavyweight, and he cut him open. And still Tyson found a way to persevere. And, and that's, um, I think that's his greatest asset. Also, he knows what he's doing um, in, the, in the purest sense. So there's a difference between a guy like Anthony Joshua, who came to the sport after playing soccer, and a guy like Deontay Wilder, who came to the sport at the age of 19 um, after playing uh, football and basketball, then there is a guy like Tyson Fury who's been doing this since, for as long as he can remember, who thinks of himself in every way as a fighter, not necessarily an athlete. Um, I don't know what the answer is because he's long. He can fight inside. He's fluent in, in every aspect of the game. He's well-schooled. I, I don't know. You know. He will tell you everybody can get beat, but we just haven't found the guy yet. Boy, so let me ask you this really quickly. I've got about a minute. Yeah. I'm really curious your yeah. thoughts on this, Mark. Where do you rank him historically? Can I, uh, look, uh, can I take a pass on that? until? Yeah, I get that. I get that. I mean, look, he's the best of this era. But I still want to see more. I mean, when, you, when you're talking about you're talking about heavyweights of, of, of past generations, you're also talking about guys who fought more frequently, who fought better competition because they were American heavyweights. And I don't mean to be um, I don't mean to be jingoistic about it, but I mean there, there, you, you can also make the argument that, that what has hurt the heavyweight division is, is football and basketball, American football, you know, and basketball. Why would you want to be a fighter when you can, you know, stay in, a, in an athletic dorm in the SEC? Um, so that's cost a lot of American talent. But let me say he's, he's the best. Of, he's obviously the best of this era. Um, I think he's probably the best heavyweight since he's the best heavyweight since Lennox Lewis. Um, and that would have made a hell of a fight. That would have been a hell of a fight. That would have been a hell of a fight. He's an ESPN Boxing Insider, an Emmy Award-winning broadcaster, and the author of acclaimed bestsellers. These are all really good books, by the way. Name it, the biography. Pistol, the life of Pete Maravich, and the good son, the life of Ray Boom Boom Mancini. Mark, great job. Appreciate you. My friend, always good to have you on the show. Thanks for doing that. That was fun. Take care, brother. Thank you. You too, Mark. Well done. So are you craving some protein after a good workout? I know I am. This time, do not make a shake or eat a bar. Reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, and it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. And it goes with you wherever you go to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And if you don't see it, be sure to ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? So I bust out to Santa Anita on Friday to watch our jungle racing homebred, Gajetta, run after the show. Again, you have to understand about, quote, the horsies. Every horse I've ever been fortunate to be involved with, and there have been, I mean, dozens probably over the last 15 years on, you know, some we've owned outright, some we've owned a part of in partnerships, but every single one, literally every single one has been special. Every single one. Some never even race, but they're just amazing animals. Amazing. If you, 
it's hard to explain to people who have no interest, but if you have an open mind, if you've ever been around a thoroughbred, they're beautiful animals. They're amazing. Now, we've had some world champions, and we've had some that were just kind of, you know, average equine athletes. Gajetta, but they're all incredibly special. Gajetta is right near the top of the list of me in terms of my favorites because we bred her. I want to, again, explain this to you really quickly so you understand where I'm coming from. You can buy thoroughbred horses at auction. You can buy them in a private sale. You can claim them in claiming races, whereby you run a horse in a claiming race, and if you run it for, quote, a tag, you can put in for the tag, and then when the race is over, whoever put in for the tag and gets the horse or comes up gets the horse. Like, I I digress really quickly, but we had a horse named Gallatin's Run once, and we used to run him for a tag, and it always made me nervous because I was afraid somebody would claim the horse. And my trainer said to me, no one's going to claim the horse. You're good. And I remember telling this trainer at the time, you know what? I want to retire the horse. He's had a good life. He's had a good career. I want him to go have a better life now off the track and just be a horse. He's given us everything he can. And the trainer said to me, you know what, Jim? He loves Del Mar. Run him one more time. I said, yeah, I really don't want to. He's like, I'm telling you, he loves that track. He will win. You walk off on a win. And then he lives the rest of his life. He went out a winner. It'll be great. We just run him for a tag again. I said, well, all right. We go to Del Mar. Gallatin wins this race. I go to the winner's circle, and it's an amazing moment. He wins. It's Del Mar. I'm immediately going to retire him, send him to Kentucky, let him live on a farm for the rest of his life. And somebody says to me at the track, you don't own that horse anymore, Mr. Rome. I'm like, are you bleeping kidding me? Somebody claimed the horse. So I lost the horse. And it began this odyssey to get the horse back. A whole different story. But you can also buy a horse that way. Or you can be a breeder. And that's a long, hard process, which requires hella patience. Especially if you do it the way we do it. Because we have a tiny breeding operation. We have the smallest breeding operation possible because we only have one horse. Or a broodmare. They're known as broodmares that we breed to. We own this horse, Gidget Girl. And we pick a stallion every single year to breed her too. And then you wait nine months and then you get a baby. And then you hope the baby is sound and you hope the baby makes it to the races. But that also was a long shot. So Gidget Girl, the horse that we breed to, never actually ran. She never actually made it to the races. She got hurt. So we retired her. We were going to find her a home. My race manager, Alex Solis, said she projects pretty nicely as a broodmare. If you want to give it a shot, you should try to breed to her. So we did. Gidgetta was the first baby to actually make it to the races, and she's now four, and she's had a nice little career. So I love her. I adore her. I go to Santa Anita on Friday, and I love everything about this horse, but I cannot tell you how proud I was when she showed this kind of grit and this kind of heart. We actually have video, a part of the race. If you're watching on CBS Sportsnet, CBS Sports Network, check out Gidgetta running late and finishing like a freight train. AG Indy narrowly in front around the far turn to five picks, please. Two more beautiful ballad covering up Bruja Escarlata. Road Rager, Gidgetta starts to pick it up with seven to make up on the outside. And first star at the back, they turn for home. AG Indy is the leader, has it by a length and a half. 
Beautiful ballad, Bruja Escarlata between horses. Gidgetta is kicking in on the far outside. AG Indy three-length lead. Gidgetta motoring up outside of Bruja Escarlata. AG Indy on the outside. Here's Gidgetta. Photo finish. Gidgetta was absolutely flying. She and AG Indy hit the wire together. Bruja Escarlata was third. So you got to understand, like, it's an allowance race, which is below stakes races for those who don't follow the sport. So those who do follow the sport know that any race is hard to win. Any race on any level is hard to win. And those who follow the sport understand that if it involves a homebred, it means even more. So we've won bigger races, but I don't know that I've ever been more proud or as proud as I was of seeing Gidgetta get up late to win that race. I mean, yes, Misdirection did beat the boys twice in the Breeders' Cup. Shared Belief was literally the top-ranked thoroughbred in the world at one point. Gidgetta's not any of these things. But I don't know that I've ever been more proud. And I'm still smiling huge just watching her get up. It was unbelievable. She showed so much heart and so much grit and ran down some really good horses. It was an amazing feeling. And the incredible thing was, it was a photo finish. So the trainer, Richard Baltus, and I are walking towards the winner's circle. And I'm like, Richie, dude, this is a bad look. This is like jumping into the holder's arms if you don't make the field goal. We should stop walking until we find out who won. So we wait, we wait, we wait, we wait. And then we found out we won. It was, absolutely, it was amazing. It really was amazing. I could not be more proud of her. Now, this gal here understands. Most of you do not understand. Most of you are now thumbing out your stupid SJP tweets. Diane in Niagara Falls, I guarantee understands. Diane, what's going on? How are you? Jim, congratulations. You're taking a, a page out of the... Uh... Sean McDermott playbook and being uh, classy and humble, not leading with the story. So Friday afternoon, I'm sitting in my car. I'm like, I got to watch this race because I, I tried to get past Chalk and I spelled his name C-H-A-L-K on the phone. I was put on hold. I said, I don't care. I'm watching this race. I'm screaming in my car because I'm watching on the phone. The people next to me in the parking lot are like, what the heck's going on with that woman? But oh my God, what an incredible race. She came from out of the clouds. And a couple of things I want to tell you. First of all, years ago, I'll never forget when you sold Misdirection, and I've always wanted to tell you this, and somebody said, horse racing is just a business. That's a bunch of, I won't say what, because you have to have the love and passion for the horse, which you do. And your trainer, Richie Baltus, I'm so glad you got him, Jim, because he puts his hand on every horse that runs. He's a true horseman and has the love of the horse in his heart. And uh, tell, tell her little half-brother, now, again, the teacher in me wants to educate our fans, um, um, Straight Up G is her half-brother because he's out of the same mare, Gidget Girl, but he has a different sire, straight sire. So um, he ran fourth in his maiden, and that's fine. Tell, tell the G-man that Aunt Diane said that Secretary ran fourth in his first race, and he also has AP Indy on the top and bottom, meaning that um, his mother has uh, AP Indy, who's a very famous racehorse on her, um, in her pedigree, and so does his sire. And AP Indies take a little bit longer. So, oh, my God, Jim, I am so proud of, of, of the stable. Um, two questions. Did you breed um, Gidget Girl back, and who did you breed her to? And I also want to say, um, War Jake Rome for his incredible internship at Del Mar. Lovely article in the Pollock Report. And also, you can Google his name and read the article he wrote on the magic of Del Mar. Or my sister, Pat Bax, one of the Mafia sisters, um, for winning at the Buffalo Niagara Airport at uh, 
4 o'clock in the morning to welcome her bills back. And uh, sorry, Rick, but War Lady Clones. Thanks, Jim. You're the best, Diane. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. She loves jungle racing, and she nailed it. She understands. Like I said, she I knew Diane would understand the meaning of that. Charles Robinson is my guest. Charles, good to have you back. What's up, man? How you feeling? I'm doing well, brother. How you doing? Good, dude. Good. Thanks for making time for us, as always. I had Brandon Staley on the show last segment, and you were talking about, in fact, you tweeted that yesterday's game reminded you of the Rams-Chiefs game from a few years back. So what do you make of what you saw from both the Chargers and the Browns yesterday? Well, I, you know, somebody on, on one of those teams is going to have to, the defense up front has to come through because you can't, uh, you can't just boat race it, I think, this year through the playoffs. I think if there's anything that we learned last year from the Buccaneers, it's that whatever team has a really capable offense, if they can get defensive pressure up front, they can find um, really that groove heading into the playoffs the way the Buccaneers did last year. They're going to have a leg up on everyone else. And I look at Cleveland, and frankly, the front end of Cleveland's defense, although Clowney was down yesterday, if if they're completely healthy, I think Cleveland's got a defense on the front end that can accomplish that. I think the Chargers are in the same boat, that they have a defense on the front end that can accomplish that. It's just uh, getting everybody healthy, getting everybody in the right rhythm the second half of the season. I Staley's been magnificent this year. I think his his attitude on how he approaches the game. We've seen so many clips out there um, on a weekly basis of him explaining what his mentality is fits perfectly for, for that squad. Um, I, I, I just, I looked at last night and I said, these are two teams that if they're not factoring in the, in the AFC title hunt at the end of the season, something catastrophically went wrong because the offenses are there right now. It's just, it, you know, can the defenses catch up and give them, that added edge they're going to need to to beat either each other or, you know, if, if Kansas City can get it together, um, whoever they might face uh, in in the Super Bowl, there's whatever NFC team makes it, you know, they're going to have a high-powered offense. Um, and to me, it's just really getting the front end of the defense together. Charles Robinson is joining us. I agree with everything you just said. I think that they both are bona fide legitimate contenders. And that brings us to Buffalo. So what did the Buffalo Bills show you yesterday in the way they went into Kansas City and dominated the two-time defending AFC champs in their house? I mean, they just beat, they beat up the, the Chiefs. I mean, I don't even know that there's really any other way to put it. You, you had the number one offense in football, uh, DVOA offense in football, going up, up, up against the number one defense in terms of DVOA. And we saw the defense just dominate. To be able to turn over Patrick Mahomes the way that they did, to be able to minimize Tyreek Hill the way that they did. Um, it was, I mean, not just from the standpoint of turning them over, but physically dominating Kansas City in a way that um, we haven't seen over the course of the last few years. And the, the thing about the Chiefs that I don't know how to feel about their defense because they haven't had everybody together um, yet. And Chris Jones, obviously, uh, out last night, your various wards out last night. You know, you can't have a starting corner and um, a, a perennial all-pro defensive tackle, defensive end, not on your on your line. So I, I guess when I look at the Chiefs, I think, well, they can get things back together if they can just get everybody healthy on defense. But offensively, just to, to have these opportunities and then see Patrick Mahomes make mistakes, and, and he has not been clean the entirety of the season – and I think a lot of that had to do with the pressure. I think it had to do with some of the scheming that, that Buffalo was throwing um, at Kansas City. And 
if you go back to the start of the season, I think teams are figuring out that if, if we figure out how to take Tyreek Hill out of a game, eventually at some point Patrick Mahomes is going to take chances. And he's he's got to be more perfect now than ever before because he doesn't have that third and fourth tier option that he's had in the past. So it's uh, Buffalo's uh, – the AFC is just stacked at the top. I mean, there's, there's three, four elite teams where – any one of those teams you, you would think would be able to dominate in the playoffs. Talking to Charles Robinson, I'm jumping around a little bit because I want to pick my spots with you and respect our time. You've had a few days to think about it and reflect upon it. So when you look back, what sticks out to you the most about Urban Meyer skipping that team flight back from Cincinnati, hanging out in Ohio, getting caught, and then how he handled it the rest of the week? Well, I, I think I think about the Jacksonville Jaguars and – this all comes down to wins and losses and is the team moving in the right direction. And the last two games, you go back to the Cincinnati games. I think if you look at the way Trevor Lawrence has played, he's looked more comfortable to me the last two weeks. He's looked um, in terms of leadership, in terms of how um, he's standing in the pocket, leading the team, throw, you know, even his throws look um, more on point, I think, consistently. He looks like he's making strides, but the offense itself, still is dragging and you can go all the way back to the preseason. And I think if your ownership, at some point you have to look at urban and say, is this the right offensive coordinator for this, for this team? What can we do here to get this thing jump started? And I think you also have to look at urban and say, when it's, let's say it's fourth and goal, you know, at the one, why are you taking James Robinson? Who is other than Trevor Lawrence, your second best player on that offense, most talented player, and and running the ball with Car- Carlos Hyde, and he's getting snowed up. There has to be some rationale for taking the ball out of your two best players' hands at the one yard line and in such a pivotal moment. So, you know, I think the on the field stuff he's got plenty to answer for. The the off the field stuff, the leadership aspects of it, that's going to come down to the locker room and. I think if they keep losing, they get to the bye. If, if you know, your owner, Shad Khan, you have to go to some of the leaders on, the, on that team in that locker room and say, how do you feel about Urban? How do you feel about the leadership? Are we going in the right direction? And I think you really have to consider that maybe Urban Meyer was a mistake and, and that this is a one-and-done situation. But I think part of that's got to come from the locker room and a dialogue with ownership. We were talking to Charles Robinson. In addition to that, right now, you've got a piece up on Yahoo about John Gruden and the email that he sent back in 2011 about Demora Smith. What do you make of his explanations of that email? And then how big of a mess is this for Gruden, the Raiders, and the league? Well, it's in terms of his explanations, I, I as I said in the column, he keeps coming out and saying he didn't have a racist thought in his head. He doesn't have an ounce of racism in him all these different things, but yet his explanation for what he said to use a descriptor about someone's physical feature, you know, Demore Smith's lips. I mean, I've seen this explanation of, well, I, I call people who I think are liars, rubber lips. And, and yet he didn't use that phrase. Um, and he talked about the size of, I mean, it's just, it's, He's he's doing backflips here, gymnastics to try and explain this whole thing, and then also remove himself from having um, any racism, any racist thought whatsoever. It's not a racist joke. It's none of these things. And I just have a I have a really hard time believing. I got to believe that guys in that locker room have a hard time believing it. They can't obviously can't speak about it publicly. It puts them in a bad situation. Puts them in a bad spot. 
Um, but if you're the NFL, I think you have to look at it and say, he might have been working at ESPN at the time. But the truth is that since 1992, when he became an assistant coach of the Green Bay Packers, John Gruden has become synonymous with the NFL product. Even when he left the sideline, he went to work at a place where he would earn millions upon millions of dollars via doors that the NFL kept open for him. It was QB camp. He's, he's you know, centerpiece on the Monday Night Football franchise, um, visiting teams in the offseason, all these different things. So to me, considering that coaches don't have a CBA, they're not collectively bargained, the league can do what they want with coaches, they can punish them in this situation. And, and I think you have to stand here and say we can't, even though it was 10 years ago, John Green was on the doorstep of his 49th birthday. People are like, well, all this change must have happened or whatever. He grew. I, I guess we all experience our life renaissance and become the men we're going to be in our 50s. Because if at 49, you're sitting there and you can't understand what you're about to say, and you're sending it to Bruce Allen, who's the general manager of a franchise that's always embroiled in, uh, you know, people lashing out about the name of the franchise, the logo in the franchise, that right then had a workplace culture that would be investigated 10 years later and be found to be toxic toward women. It's Everything that's wrapped up in this is a terrible thing for the NFL. You walk away from this situation and just say, there's nothing we can really do about it. It's, it, it shows that the NFL, particularly when it comes to holding people accountable at the highest possible positions, it's, it's a feckless league. All right, and I want to echo what you just said about, just so people are clear on what you're talking about, Charles, this whole thing, this argument that, yeah, well, he wasn't in the league at the time of that email. It's mean, such garbage, right? He, was, he wasn't he was coaching, but to say that he was not in the league is not accurate because, to your point, he was working at ESPN and very much involved in what was going on in the league. So I don't buy that argument at all. It's not like this guy was out in the wilderness in a little cabin somewhere right. not, not engaging in football. He was very much involved with the NFL. So a final thought, the team itself did not look good yesterday in the home loss to the Bears. Is it something that you think blows over, or is that something that's going to spiral for the Raiders? It's uh, it's ultimately going to be up to the players. I, I, I watched a lot of the interviews, the clips that are out there, the players, and it looked like a sliding scale. You know, you had some guys or he talked to us in a meeting, you know, they kind of seemed to be over it, they're moving past it. There were other guys that um, just didn't want to talk about it all. They're like, you know, didn't didn't want to address the subject, just want to move on, put their head down and do their jobs. And I think part of it is, you know, winning cures a lot of things and even things like this. I mean, it, if, if you can win football games, it tends to soothe over um, a, a lot of hurt feelings. I, if there are guys in that locker room who are hurt, they will still go out and play. I thought Teddy Bruschi said it best when he was on ESPN yesterday. He's like, look, I don't, I don't have to like you. I don't have to you know, consider you a good leader, but I still have to go out and play. And I think that you know, it's a team where you have a lot of professionals, and they're ultimately going to have to steer where the attitude of the team goes you know, forward because I, I don't think anything John Gruden says or does at this point really changes from the, the, te- the tone that he sort of set out there. He's not going to dramatically – all of a sudden just say, hey, you know what, now looking back on it, maybe there was a little bit of racism in that. Maybe it was a, a, an appropriate joke that I shouldn't have made. And thats I don't think that kind of apology is coming. And I don't think anything that the league does to him ultimately is going to change the attitude of those players when it comes to wins and losses on the field. He is a senior NFL reporter for Yahoo, host of You Pod to Win the Game. And a very good friend of the program. Dude, I appreciate you very much, Charles. Thank you for doing that. As always, always good to have you on the show. You always make it better. 
I really appreciate it, brother. Stay safe. Rick in Buffalo. What's up, brother? I didn't think they made him any dumber than Adam Hawk, but that moron who just answered the phone proved me wrong. Hey, rookie, when the guy on the other end of the line says it's Rick in Buffalo, you don't ask what he wants to talk about. You say thanks for calling your highness. I'll put you right through. Consider this your only warning. Now the best part about last night's beatdown at Arrowhead Gym is we'll no longer have to hear about how the Bills traded the Mahomes pick. Not only did we end up with a better quarterback, we got the best cornerback in football with the extra pick. The only guy smarter than Bean and McDermott is me. And save the, well, Mahomes has a ring BS. Mahomes didn't win one. Kyle Shanahan choked another one away. And we also saw who the best tight end in football is last night. Well, Dawson Knox was making acrobatic catches downfield. Travis Kelsey was taking dives and praying for flags. Even the refs couldn't save you last night, you meathead. And Poyer lighting your sorry ass up was the perfect ending to my perfect night. War Silks Chargers in my bills. For the AFC title on January 30th. Jenny Cream L's on me, brother. War Canadians not being allowed at Bill's Holmes games this year. Nobody wants you here anyways, you a-holes. Thanks for the vine, Jim. Who loves you, baby? My man, rack him. Rick in Buffalo. Oh, dude, he's having a good day. He sounds pissed. He's having a good day. He's having a good day, and why the hell not? Good night, 